right, you can open your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 11. And these, this passage is about um, living the Christian life, living with holiness, and doing so with urgency and the different ways we do so. Um, so 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in the book of First Peter, uh, one of the main themes that we see is holy living in an unholy world. Um, this is true in our passage, and it's even more clear if you look at the passage right before it, uh, like in verses 3 and 4, where it says, uh, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, uh, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So Peter was ta just talking about how not to live, which is how the world does. However, in our passage, Peter moves on to talk about how we should live. And these are our points for the sermon. It's to live with urgency, to love others, and to be stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And so first, living with urgency. Uh, Peter says here that the end of all things is at hand. So first, what does Peter mean by end? So the word there means consummation, and he's probably talking about Jesus' return. So why does he say that Jesus' return is at hand? Um, obviously, he doesn't mean it was coming within their lifetimes. Um, Jesus has not yet returned, right? Um, and this was written about 2,000 years ago, so that's obvious. However, many cults still try to predict when Jesus will return. There's more than we can number on our hands and feet, probably. Um, for example, John Miller and the Millerites predicted Jesus' return in 1844. Um, this led to what was called the Great Disappointment when Jesus obviously didn't return. And fun fact, that led to most leaving the denomination, other denominations breaking off, such as the, Ad the Adventist churches. So that's where the Seventh-day Adventists came from. Uh, was from sort of a weird doomsday, doomsday cult. Um, but Peter, obviously, he didn't know when Jesus would return, and actually neither do we. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then what does 1 Thessalonians 5 say after that? It actually goes on to talk about how we should be, stay awake and be sober-minded so that we aren't surprised by Christ's return. And I think this is also what Peter is talking about. Um, we have to live our lives with urgency, not wasting any of the limited time we have, because at any moment we could die or Christ could return. Um, because of this, Peter says to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We need to be paying attention. Um, the King James phrases that as be sober and watch unto prayer. So Peter is calling for personal holiness and seriousness in prayer because of Jesus' imminent return. Uh, Matthew 25, we also see the negative side of this. The, the ten virgins, right? We see that the ones who are caught unaware, um, they do not enter the kingdom. Instead, they are locked out. Um, so next point, we have loving others, which is verses 8 and 9. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So Proverbs 10, 12 is what Peter is referencing there. It says, 
Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. Um, so we should love others in the same way Jesus loved us, covering a multitude of sins. And you remember when Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother, Jesus answered 70 times seven. So um, even if our brother wrongs us, we are to forgive them an infinite number of times, basically. Um, then it also says to show hospitality without grumbling after that. And of course, um, that was more important in that day with the lack of reputable hotels. But even today, this is another way we can show love to other Christians. Um, this was a great, a great example of this was recently with Joshua Bora coming to visit us. He was the missionary who was visiting with us last week from India. Well, he was originally from India. Um, and um, Neil welcomed him into our home, into his home, and we all welcomed him to our church. And I think that was great. So last point, and this will be the longest point here. So we are, finally, we are stewards of God's gifts, and that's verses 10 and 11. So it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to, be, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So first, what does Peter mean by gifts here? Well, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul defines the gifts as being any ability, seemingly natural or supernatural, that comes from the Spirit. I think this is likely what Peter means as well. However, he narrows in on two different gifts in verse 11, which are teaching and serving. Um, so first, let's talk about teaching. He says, those who speak, speaks the oracles of God. So what does he mean by that? This speaks to the use of scripture in preaching and teaching. Teachers of God's word should interpret the passage as the original author intended and not read preconceived ideas into a text. This can even happen in reform circles. Sometimes passages are taken out of context or examples can be taken too far to support something not in the passage. So sometimes even if the idea is biblical, they'll maybe use a verse wrong because it out of context sounds right um, and care should be used to ensure that um, the passage that they use actually teaches the idea. Um, also, um, we should avoid reading passages through our modern lens as much as possible. We should view them in their historical context and then apply it to our lives as, um, as application and not as it was originally meant. So we should avoid using modern day buzzwords that have different um, meaning maybe than what was thought of back in the day. So we also need, we should remember the warning in James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach are judged with greater strictness. And then after that, James goes on to say that we all stumble in what we say. So that is why teachers must be especially careful in what they teach and not speak carelessly. So next point is serving. He says as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Of course, God supplies all the strength that we serve with. If we have talents that others do not, we are responsible to use them for God's glory. And I'm sure we can all think of something we are better than other people at, and we should use those. But uh, why are we to use our teaching and our serving this way? So that's because we are stewards of God's gifts. And so what's a steward? A steward is someone who takes care of something that they do not own. Um, and the parable of the talents, I think, is a great example of stewards taking care of something they own, they do not own, or not taking care of it as they should. So we read it earlier. I'm going to summarize it again, though. Um, 
So a man goes into a faraway country and trusts three servants with talents, one with five talents, one with two talents, and to one one talent. The man with five talents invests and gets five more. Same with the man with two talents. The man with one talent buries it instead of investing it. When the master returns, he rewards the first two servants, but casts a third into the lake of fire. Um, a couple of different points we can take from the parable here. So first of all, God has given each of us gifts, which are talents in the parable, um, different gifts of varying degrees. So one ser- we see one servant gets um, five talents and another two and another one. So they get um, varying levels of responsibility, um, same as we get different levels of responsibility um, and we even get different kinds of gifts too. Um, we see that the talents are the masters. They don't belong to us. We are just taking care of God's property. Um, we also see that we will receive rewards in heaven based on um, our use of the gifts. And this is apart from salvation largely. Um, this is also clear in the parallel passage for this in Luke 19. He tells a very similar parable about um, ten servants who um, get some kind of finances, and then they invest it well or they don't, and then they receive the number of cities based on the amount that they earned back. Um, And so in that we see um, that the reward is largely based on their their works here. Um, This is also stated in other places, such as Revelations 22, 12, where it says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. Um, so to be clear about Matthew 25, Matthew 25 is largely about judgment and the faith, fate of the slothful servant. But there, I think there's too many parallels between the parable and what Peter is saying to ignore, especially since Peter was probably there when it pr- was preached. Um, and then finally, we have to use these gifts to serve others. 1 Corinthians 12:14 through 20 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, uh, in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So we are all one body. We are not to use our abilities selfishly, but we are to use our abilities to build up the church um, and also not wishing we had the gifts that somebody else has. So then, why is all this? Well, Peter says it's for the the glory of God. Um, He says that in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Um, This is because... We are his servants. We are using his tools, and it is for his kingdom. So naturally, God, in the end, gets the glory for all of this. So to conclude, Jesus is returning one day. We don't know when this is, so we must act with diligence and urgency to live the Christian life in personal holiness, in love for others, in hospitality, and in serving the needs of others. We do this as stewards of God's gifts, humbly recognizing that our talents are not our own, but are from God and still belong to God, so that when we use them, God gets the glory. Let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you've given us your Son, Lord. You've given us salvation through his blood despite our sins, Lord. You've made us your servants, Lord, and you've even given us talents and gifts we can use for your kingdom, Lord. I pray that um, 
you would help us to know how to serve you best, Lord, that we would um, seek to do so tonight and in our lives in general, Lord. Um, pray that um, we would all give you the glory you deserve and not seek to take it for ourselves, that we would not be lazy, but that we would seek to serve you uh, with urgency. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.